Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, mass shootings are the worst nightmare not only for parents, but also for school administrators, who must always be keenly aware that the next such incident may not be somewhere else. Also this morning, what is driving the pain in the nation that seems to so frequently lead to tragic outcomes? A new report out this week from the Trust for America's Health offers some timely clues. And on the lighter side this morning, high school commencement can be a big shock to parents as the realization sets in that a major change in their life is about to happen. We have real-world advice from the miserable mom's do's and don'ts of sending your kid to college. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Thursday, May 26th, 2022. It is National Cherry Dessert Day. Uh, or you can opt for this National Blueberry Cheesecake Day. So cherries, blueberries, you get your choice uh, today. Uh, also, it is National Paper Airplane Day, World Dracula Day for some reason, World Redhead Day, uh, World Lindy Hop Day, and it is Sally Ride Day honoring the first uh, American woman in space. So reasons to celebrate today. So uh, Memorial Day weekend right around the corner. I know for uh, some folks, it is getaway day today. Uh, it'll be uh, starting to head out early for their But If you take Friday off, you can sneak in a four-day weekend. Plus, you can avoid all of the uh, crowds on the road. AAA says 34.9 million people are expected to hit the road this weekend. And you will be paying quite a bit more to get where you're going this year in 2019 for some perspective here. Gas was less than $3 a gallon. This year, it's over $4.50 a gallon on average nationwide. The EPA actually has a calculator tool on their website that where you can figure out how much it's going to cost to get to your destination. It's kind of cool. Uh, you enter the make and model of your vehicle and tell them where you're going and where you're coming from, and they will calculate the cost based on... Uh, the fuel economy of your vehicle and the average cost of gas uh, on, for your trip based on where you're starting and where you're ending. Uh, Fox News ran a couple of examples. They say for a Toyota Camry, it'll cost you about $14.08 on average for a 100-mile trip. So your mileage may vary, as they say. Uh, in California, where uh, gas prices are now over 60 or sixty six dollars a gallon, not quite sixty. It's more expensive. It's not quite that expensive. Where gas is six dollars a gallon, that same trip would cost you eighteen dollars and seventy six cents. So you can go there and and uh, check that out. See what your costs will be for your trip. One of the things <laughs> you need to be aware of uh, when you get to your destination. Uh, you don't want this to happen. Some uh, tourists in Antwerp, Belgium. Uh, got a shock and surprise when they arrived at the city's iconic train station the other day to find Nazi flags and banners and other paraphernalia everywhere. <laughs> Can you imagine stepping off the train for your dream vacation in, in Belgium, in Europe, and seeing Nazi flags everywhere? Well, apparently they were filming a movie and uh, nobody bothered to tell anyone, even uh, some of the residents uh, didn't know that they were <laughs> they They blamed a lack of communication between the filmmakers and the um, national railway operator SNCB for they say it was all uh, arranged in advance, but they just forgot to tell anyone. So <laughs> uh, they were only there for about a day. But even even some of the workers at the train station were taken aback when they showed up for work one day. <laughs> found all of this nazi paraphernalia hanging in the train it was they're doing a they're filming a world war ii movie uh so <laughs> everything was just fine but uh they didn't know that at the time a couple of other uh, interesting stories among the first things you need to know this morning i found this to be rather eyebrow raising uh, mattel is introducing a new barbie doll in the likeness of transgender actress Laverne Cox. Mattel announced yesterday it was working directly with Ms. Cox to create a Barbie that fit in closely with her style. It's a limited edition Barbie doll, comes with a red, count, red gown, heeled boots, a metallic bodysuit, and silver earrings. 
and it will be available in limited edition next week. In a statement, Laverne Cox says it's been a dream of hers for years to work with Barbie to create her own doll so that fans can have the opportunity to add a Barbie modeled after a transgender person to their collection. Here's my question. Should it, shouldn't it be a Ken doll? <laughs> I mean, if you really want to be if you really want to be accurate, that should be a Ken doll, not a Barbie doll. Anyway, uh, let's see here. A couple of other uh Interesting items among the first things you need to know this morning. The uh, so-called Great Resignation, which really came about as the result of the pandemic, economic issues and so on, does not appear to be slowing down. This is kind of interesting. Uh, New research. um, One in five people in this survey say that they plan to switch jobs in the next 12 months. One in five. Now, that's the plan. They may not all do that, but at least they are planning on changing jobs in the next year. This is a huge survey. More than 52,000 workers, not just in this country, but in 44 countries around the world, was recently published by the uh, employment firm PwC, drilled down into what employees think about their jobs, too. Of those who intend to stay at their posts, 35% say they plan to ask for a raise in the next 12 months. Uh, As always, having more in-demand skills is always a bonus. And to that end, 44% of those who work in the tech sector say they plan to ask for more money in the coming months. Those working in the healthcare fields and those in media and communications also feel that their skills are very much in demand these days and want to be compensated appropriately uh 70% of those who have in demand skills say they do feel satisfied with their jobs compared to about half of those in unskilled fields survey also points out that women are 7% less likely to say that they are paid fairly compared to their male counterparts but they are also 7% less likely to ask for more money so interesting overall 71% of those in the poll, and again, this was a huge poll, say that they have uh, say that they have been compensated fairly at their jobs. 69% consider their jobs fulfilling. 60% believe their employers do care for their well-being. Survey also found 45% uh, who couldn't work remotely reported less satisfaction with their job than those who could. So... Kind of interesting in that respect as well. Uh, let's see here. Now we'll skip over that. <laughs> um, how about this? this is kind of uh, interesting research from the file of duh this morning. And uh, this is rather timely with the Memorial Day weekend coming up and the start of the summer season. Research out of the University of South Denmark finds that when kids stop staring at screens, they are more active. (laughs) That's why I say it's from the file of, duh. You would think that that is, you know, that that would be common knowledge. That just only makes sense. But it is kind of interesting. They say uh, the same is not true for adults. Uh, What they found is that when children reduced their screen time, they had an average of 45 minutes more daily physical activity compared to children who did not reduce their screen time. They compared two groups. Uh, However, time spent moving did not increase among adults who reduced their screen time. Uh, The lead researcher in the study says results clearly suggest that spending many hours using digital screens after school and on weekends displaces some activities where children move around more. Again, duh. But although the results suggest that reducing screen media use is an an ineffective way of increasing adults' daily movement, it still is a good idea for adults to balance their screen use in the home if for no other reason you set a good example for your kids. So... Stuff to take to heart there as we head into the summer season. And there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Thursday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Emchek. 
Your WTOL 11 weather. Showers and storms possible today with a high of 80. Showers and storms possible tonight, a low of 62. Finley's annual Memorial Day Parade is coming up on Monday. Bill Johns, president of the Hancock County Veterans Council, hopes to see everyone there. We wish everybody would show up that could. We're memorializing the people that we've lost as veterans, and we'd just love to have everybody come out and show up. Bill says the bridge ceremony on the Main Street Bridge will happen at 9 a.m., and then the parade will start at 10 in front of the American Legion on West Front. The parade will make its way to Maple Grove Cemetery, where a service will be held at the War Memorial. Get more on the website. The assistant football coach at Chardon High School east of Cleveland, who chased a shooter out of the building 10 years ago after three students were killed, is reacting to this latest school shooting in Texas. Coach Frank Hall, who stood up to Chardon's shooter, processing another school shooting. Right now, it's anger. You think about these things happening over and over again, and we go back to the same thing of doing nothing. In Washington, people are saying thoughts and prayers, and the other side saying, well, thoughts and prayers aren't enough. And that's it. Nothing else happens. Coach Hall has spent the last 10 years of his life speaking about school safety. He wants more school resource officers. That's our role. It needs to be in every school in your district. That's Emma Henderson with WKYC-TV in Cleveland. Area kids will have a chance to take part in a program to help them learn how to better process grief. The program is called Grief Trails, and it helps kids learn about the importance of communicating their emotions during times of grief while working hands-on with horses. Two locations and dates are being offered for the program this year, one in Ottawa and the other in Tiffin. On our website, we have a link where you can get more information and get registered. Baristas at a Starbucks in Cleveland are now officially unionized after a unanimous vote. According to Cleveland.com, those workers are seeking fair wages, worker safety, and the right to have input on company policies. Three other Starbucks in Greater Cleveland are also pursuing unionization. The first Ohio Starbucks to unionize is in Columbus. Kate Burdett, ONN News. I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Vigil held last night in Uvalde, Texas for the 19 children and two adults that were killed in America's latest school shooting. It is the worst nightmare scenario, not only for parents, but also for school administrators who always have to be keenly aware that the next such incident may not be somewhere else. Mark Kowalski is a superintendent of Liberty Benton uh, local schools, and I know Uh, We were just talking a little bit before we went on the air. We all have, I think, the same reaction when we uh, heard the news and we were watching the news coverage, shock and sadness and and everything as parents, as human beings. I would imagine you have a reaction, an entirely different reaction uh, at, at a different level as a school administrator when you hear something like this. Well, Chris, you go through those levels of uh, your emotions change uh, throughout that. And like we said, the initial initial um, feelings of shock and, and sadness mm-hmm. and, and all the grief that, that you feel and sympathy for that community in Texas or any of the other communities where this has happened. And then, and then those emotions kind of move to maybe a feeling of helplessness mm-hmm. and, and anger yeah. and uh, – and really, really a self-examination period um, to um, to see if what what could have been done to pr- prevent that. You kind of yeah. sit down analytically, and it, you know you, you tear that situation apart. But you know, obviously, you know uh, thoughts and prayers go out to that community as as would be with any community in, right. in a tough situation. You know, that's the the question. Everybody wants to know why, how, yeah. how and why uh, did this happen? And, and I, I'm reminded that when you have like a, a big plane crash and mm-hmm. the NTSB comes in and right. uh, does their investigation, what they normally find is that it's not just one thing. It is many little things that when combined in just the right way lead to tragedy. Lot uh, is much the same in a situation like this. Yeah, you know, every situation the motivating factor is is different. So, you know, it's it's very important that we stress at Liberty Benton, uh, our administrative team, along with our our staff, uh, to uh, build those relationships uh, with with students in our building to build relationships with our community, and um, you know, being in tune with your community can 
can uh, hopefully uh, prevent this and also uh, uh, bring a, a feeling of if there's something going on that we mm-hmm. can communicate this out. But, you know, in this situation, <laughs> I mean, this is totally off right. off the rails, off the radar, if you will. Um, yeah. So, you can only so we can so we can only things, we can only do so much, and right. the measures that we have preventive measures in place, you know, we and, we and, have some of those, right? And and uh, obviously, a lot of this falls to the schools. You know, again, we sit back as a society and say, you know, the parents, uh, right. you know, where are the parents in this situation. So often, especially with young people who are maybe have a proclivity for something like this, uh, are in situations where the home life is not mm-hmm. uh, ideal and so again ch- schools quite often are charged with picking up on many of those clues right and and we have staff additional staff in place uh, at Liberty Benton as do most schools mm-hmm. uh, uh, in in our county and in, in our state and across the country we have licensed professional clinical counselor we have a school resource officer uh, we have some other resources in in play to to help possibly identify uh, some of those situations, or uh, you hate to say, people uh, who may have uh, uh, you know predetermined mm-hmm. uh, notion, if you will. But uh, you know, in working with some of our support staff, and that's why it's so in tune to to be able to to stress to our our staff, you know. If if you see something, say they'll something. say something, yeah. and and our students students as Same well, um, and we take we take all those um, um, situations very seriously, and you have to. Yeah, you know, you can but go ahead, still, you can put metal detectors, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, in, in those situations, but uh, ultimately it comes down to to knowing your population and, and building those relationships and trying to head those problems off, if you will yeah. at the past. Yeah, it's still a very big ask for uh, the schools uh, to, you know, put all of that that weight on the uh, on the schools. We kind of using the uh, airplane crash analogy. Right. Um when when the NTSB after a big plane crash will come in and mm-hmm. they'll investigate down to right. the last minute detail of the how and uh, what and how happened and when they can mm-hmm. figure out the why. And they do that not to initiate any kind of uh, uh, criminal proceeding, but rather to make sure that everything is done to prevent it from happening again. And they put out these reports and all of the airlines and the airports and uh, so on are given uh, all of this information and recommendations are made. Are there investigations that are done on a similar level in an instance like this? In other words, I guess what I'm asking is, are there is there a, a database or there reports or there people that you would talk to who say you know here's here are the recommendations we can make based on this incident to other districts around the country well we do professional development with with uh with our staff with our with our administrators mm-hmm. as far as this and we're in communication with local law enforcement uh on on some of these but do you really ever know there's any given day if you yeah. if you times out how many schools are in a country times 184 school days right the 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 chances are minimal but there is always that chance that we're going to have that the percentages are, yeah. are are so low but there is a percentage is what it comes down to and and, and really working with uh, some of the preventive measures that we have in place if there is an event in your building to limit those because they normally last. I mean, you can see the stats. Mm-hmm. You know, ninety seconds. Right. Um, um, and and we're we're very fortunate to to live in an area uh, where law local law enforcement very, communicates well. Right. Works well with with the school. Right. One of the things that we've uh, talked about in the past, and the reason I, I bring this up, you know, what kind of takeaways can you mm-hmm. uh, glean from past incidents? Uh-huh. You've got a new building going up uh, right now. Uh, obviously, we've talked about that uh, not not too long ago. Right. Uh, the progress on the uh, new K through eight uh, building at Liberty Benton, and I'm sure security one of the uh, top factors when you go to design a building. Yeah, uh, you know there are certain things that the High Facilities Construction Commission um, has found throughout the years that that are mandatory. Uh, it's just not as easy. People just can't move into you know newer buildings and and locked doors and 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 one button locking systems that will lock down an entire wing to limit something can you ever prevent it 100 percent? there's no way you really can't um 
even an even an armed guard at every single door uh if someone wants to do something at least that armed guard could be in peril if you will yeah so so that situation there are there are some added measures and that comes into just sealing off areas and not allowing people into maybe a almost a holding tank before you're buzzed into the office <laughs> again <laughs> okay Excuse me. again you, you use the airport analogy yes. it's like pre and post security yes, it, yeah. is. It, it is it it, it really is um and it, but it comes down to knowing your population you know in this case you know we are long 75 I-75, which is good for us in many ways, but it's a factor. It is a factor for us. And, you know, that's why, um, you know, local law enforcement does come into our buildings, train in our buildings, and uh, we appreciate that partnership with them and working, you know, constantly assessing our safety plan in the district, practicing those drills that you need. But in a situation where you're, you know, you can practice practice what you have to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when something happens, you just really don't know how things are going to go go down, if you will. And uh, we mentioned at the outset to circle back to to where we started here. You don't have the teachers and administrators do not have the luxury of believing that it will always happen somewhere else. Right. I think as as parents, as just mm-hmm. human beings, we we think. That can never happen here, and that helps us move on. And and you know, uh, you don't have that luxury. And I know that there's not a teacher or administrator who hasn't thought about, you know, what would happen if, and kind of planned that out in their minds. Yeah, and that goes back to initially what I said. You know, as you move through these uh, level, these emotions, uh, helplessness does come into effect. Yeah. You know, and and that's why you just have to try to prepare through drills and scenarios and and working with, um, like I said, local law enforcement and your support personnel who possibly could identify potential issues in your district. But there's no way you could prevent. You can limit. Mm -hmm. okay, but there's no way we could prevent someone, let's say, uh, coming off of 75, if you will, or or another, which in this case, this, this person really had no. Yeah, <laughs> no, no real That's connection. You've got both uh, like, the threat from yeah. students uh, who may be troubled, yeah. and then from right. outside the the right. district and the community, or even outside the community, and, right. and you never know uh, all of these uh, risks uh, that are present in this day and age. Again, Liberty Benton School Superintendent Mark Kowalski with us this morning. Mark, thanks very much for thanks, dropping Chris. By. Always a pleasure. Obviously, over the past 36 hours or so since the tragic events unfolded in Uvalde, Texas, the latest school shooting, that elementary school there, a lot of people have been asking why. Why uh, does something like this uh, happen? Well, data from a new report seems to confirm our worst fears that our country experienced its highest ever combined rates of death due to alcohol, drugs, and suicide during the COVID-19 pandemic's first year. And the data further seems to also suggest that the mental health issues brought about by the pandemic or exacerbated by the pandemic uh, are most certainly a contributing factor to tragic events like the ones that we have seen, not just in Texas this week, but in California, we've seen them in in Buffalo, we've seen them other places as well. Uh, Brandon Rivas is a senior government relations manager, the Trust for America's Health. And on Tuesday, literally just hours before we got word of this latest case of deadly violence in the U.S., we spoke to him about their just-released Pain in the Nation report. So, Brandon, right up front, people are going to see the headline in this report and come to the conclusion that the cure was worse than the disease with respect to the lockdowns, the shutdowns, the isolation that was meant to slow the spread of COVID-19. Is that the right message? Or they, is that the right takeaway from this? Is that the point? I think that it's important to remember that even though the pandemic has made the stressors that lead to deaths due to alcohol, drugs, and suicide worse than ever, 
combined numbers across all these categories were at crisis levels even before the pandemic. So even if we were to end lockdowns entirely to address the pandemic, Mm -hmm. we would still be left with the legacy of the past two decades and the urgent need for action. So certainly the pandemic didn't help, though, and that has affected the trajectory of uh, many of the trends that, as you say, were already uh, disturbing and at crisis levels previously. That's exactly right. There are the direct impacts of the pandemic, like sickness, grief, the trauma from loss of caregivers for children who have experienced that trauma. But there are also secondary effects like the stress the interruptions in school services that you mentioned, but also behavioral health services and recovery programs that previously were helping people cope. So if we can't uh, blame it all on the pandemic, then what what do we blame it on? What are the what are the root causes here? There are broader social and economic conditions that can impact health and well-being in a negative way, like housing insecurity, food insecurity, job loss, uh, community violence is a big factor. So I think this is a really a call to action to address uh, those issues and promote the social and economic conditions that can lead to positive health outcomes. So uh, that was actually going to be the uh, the next question. The flip side of that, if there are certain policies or lack thereof uh, that contribute to making the problem worse, then certainly I would imagine that you have uh, certain policies uh, and uh, and so on that will help make it uh, make it better? I mean, what are you uh, aiming for here? We emphasize in the report the need to invest in prevention. And you mentioned schools, and schools are a great place to focus on students' mental health and preventing substance use by arming them with the social and emotional skills to cope with the stressors of life. We can also address the current crisis by making sure that officials have access to naloxone and other tools for reversing overdoses and reducing harms. And then generally, we need to transform our mental health and substance misuse prevention system entirely to make sure that providers are treating mental health issues as well as physical health issues and that so that we can combat stigma that often prevents people from seeking the care they need. Those are a big lift. I mean, a lot of those uh, things certainly make sense. Uh, in theory, when you look at big picture, what is the likelihood that we would see any action on any, in any substantive manner uh, to bring about those changes, however? The silver lining here is that I think politicians on both sides of the aisle recognize the importance of addressing this crisis because they've seen it in their own constituencies. Mm. They've heard from members of the community in their districts about drug overdoses, but also the youth suicide crisis. I think every parent is concerned about the potential for uh, a mental health crisis and not necessarily having access to the resources they need. So my hope is that the uh, folks in Washington and in Congress specifically will recognize the urgency here. You know, it, it's interesting you bring that up because uh, certainly, I, again, you cycle back to the pandemic and and uh, because we saw this acceleration of these trends and for many people it maybe hit home for the first time, you could say that's the uh, silver lining. But again, there is uh, a bit of a, a warning here that uh, it's very easy to blame all of this uh, on the pandemic. And once that goes away, then and the crisis will go away. And obviously, the emphasis here is that that is not the case. Absolutely. That's an important point to remember. These are trends that have been building for 20 years or sometimes longer in certain cases. So even if the pandemic were to disappear tomorrow, we'll still have to deal with those trends as well as the legacy of the pandemic. Almost 150,000 children have lost primary caregivers over the past two years. And we'll really have to make a huge effort to try to break the connection between those adverse experiences and negative mental health outcomes down the road. Circling back to some of the details, some of the highlights from this uh, report, a couple of things that I want to point out in particular and have you comment on uh, the immediate need and the special uh, the need is especially great uh, because of the disparity in communities of color. That's absolutely right. The report shows that deaths due to drug use among the black community increased by 41%, and that alcohol-induced deaths were highest among the American Indian population compared to other groups. Mm. We also saw that suicide rates increased not only among young adults, but for black and Latino people more generally. So that speaks to not only programs to target the particular needs of those communities, but also to make sure that we have an expansive and diverse mental health workforce that can connect with folks who need care. And just to underscore, uh, it's not that the numbers were up in those specific communities exclusively. They were just up more substantially than the, uh, than the overall average, correct? 
That, that's right. Almost all population groups experience higher yeah. rates of deaths due to drug use in 2020. And you break this down state by state. Where does Ohio rank uh, just in general? Uh, kind of give us an overview of uh, where our state is as compared with the nationwide average. The numbers for Ohio for combined alcohol, drug, and suicide deaths, and across those individual categories, are mostly in line with the national average. Okay. Uh, Ohio's numbers are, are very close there. But in terms of deaths from fentanyl, for example, uh, and uh, other psychostimulant overdoses, Ohio's numbers are significantly lower than the national average. Hmm. Uh, and I wouldn't want to speculate too much on why that's the case. But as you know very well, Ohio has dealt with these issues at a crisis level for a long time. So yeah. the hope is that at this point, state officials have some of the resources they need to be responsive. Yeah, really uh, fascinating stuff. Again, uh, Brandon Rivas is Senior Government Relations Manager. The Trust for America's Health, they are uh, just out with their latest Pain in the Nation report. A lot of data there uh, worth uh, considering when we talk about how we move forward from this point, especially as it relates to mental health and uh, uh, substance abuse uh, issues, uh, much of which was brought on by the pandemic. Where do folks uh, learn more about the report and kind of dig into the data? They can go to our website for Trust for America's Health at tfah.org. We'll link that up on our webpage as well. Such important data uh, to understand. Brandon, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Now, I want to... uh, reiterate and emphasize that uh, this new report, the Trust for America's Health, uh, the Pain in the Nation report, was not designed uh, nor uh, was it focused on the uh, reasons behind these big acts of violence, uh, mass shootings and such, that we have seen. However, uh, that being said, I mean, we were talking about uh, mental health and addiction and uh, the impact of the pandemic and, and so on and so forth. So this was not about the deadly shootings and the motivations and, and so on. So I don't want to give that impression. However, if we believe that mental health issues are a contributing factor to these outbursts of violence that we see, then it stands to reason we have to understand what is um contributing to the mental health crisis that we keep talking about when these incidents do occur. So there is a connection uh, here. And again, uh, really kind of sadly ironic that literally we spoke with uh, Mr. Rivas there about that report just hours uh, before we got word of this latest uh, deadly violence in the U.S. on Tuesday in Evalde, Texas. More at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. So where do we start uh, here? You know, this is the uh, the time of the year when uh, uh, kids are getting toward the end of the uh, school year. Commencement uh, is uh, is coming up and, and all of that. And you remember the story that we had the other day about the uh, senior prank day that went horribly wrong? Uh, this one is one that is absolutely classic. Students at a high school in Montana, the Conrad Public Schools in Montana, uh, found out about a, an obscure old state law that had never been removed from the books And they decided to make the most out of it. Twelve students for the senior prank day. (laughs) Senior prank. Twelve students rode their horses to school. And by law, the principal was legally required to feed and tend to them during the school day. (laughs) In a law that dates back to the 19th century... Uh, the principal is legally required to feed and tend to the horses of students during the school day while they are in class. The, the, the Conrad Public Schools posted a photo of the students on their horses with the caption, Mr. DeBrecker has his work cut out for him today. <laughs> oh, that is all kinds of awesome right there. <laughs> Oh, I love it. <clears throat> <laughs> now that is classic. 
I don't. I, I would imagine that uh, Mr. DeBrucker. Uh, I I don't know what kind of a sense of humor he has. Uh, he may lobby the state legislature to repeal that law so that he doesn't have to do the same thing next year. Uh, let's see here. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news this morning, uh, talk about irony. A novelist who wrote, once wrote an essay called How to Murder Your Husband has been found guilty of murdering her husband. Uh, romance novelist Nancy Crampton Brophy was found guilty yesterday of the shooting of her husband, Dan, back in 2018. During the seven-week trial in Portland, Oregon, prosecutors argued she killed her husband in order to cash in on his life insurance policy. They successfully argued the 71-year-old novelist shot him twice using a ghost gun kit she had bought online, sentencing scheduled for uh, June 13th. So when you when you write an essay called How to Murder Your Husband, and then your husband turns up dead, you can pretty much guess that you're going to be the key suspect. <laughs> ghost gun or not, uh, you're going to be the one that they look uh, look at first. And speaking of irony, here's another story just dripping with irony. A former World Series of Poker champion being indicted for taking part in a massive fraud scheme involving gambling. Specifically sports betting, authorities say Corey Zeidman scammed millions of dollars from victims in a bogus sports betting group, claiming he had inside information on college and professional games that could earn them uh, easy money. I, I don't know what this... Uh, inside information was supposed to be. Um, I'm thinking if he was claiming, you know, that there was some, you know, fixing of games or point shaving or something going on and people bought into that and lost money. Well, then those people got what they deserve for trying to cash in on a, you know, sports fixing scheme but in any event it was sports betting was the was the whole thing they were uh these uh dupes were required to pay a fee to obtain the information that wasn't inside information at all mr zeidman won uh the 2012 world series of poker so (laughs) um yeah all right then Uh, let's see here. What else is going on? A couple of other uh, items in the broken news this morning that uh, definitely caught my attention. It seems that Winnie the Pooh is being turned into a horror movie. (laughs) Not much information about the upcoming tale other than the working title is Winnie Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey. (laughs) Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey. Uh, no, this is not a Disney production. Disney uh, has the rights to the modern iteration of Winnie the Pooh. However, the Pooh character, actually the uh, famous bear, entered the public domain earlier this year. So as anyone can create uh, Winnie the Pooh derivative works because it's no longer subject to copyright. So hence the Winnie the Pooh horror movie Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. No word on a release date. (laughs) No word on actually who is behind this either, but it's not Disney. We know that. It is not Disney. (laughs) And uh, finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, there's a story that is all kinds of weird out of the UK. And it seems of late... We've had a lot of weird stories out of the UK. They're giving Florida a run for their money in terms of bizarre things happening there. Uh, This sounds like something out of a Saturday morning cartoon. Uh, Manchester, England. Ryan Cunliffe, age 24, uh, apparently got extremely drunk one night, stripped off his clothes after his pants fell around his ankles and tripped him. So he decided, well, heck, I'll just strip naked. Grabbed a for sale sign (laughs) nearby yard and then threatened paramedics, kicked an officer who tried to pry a bottle of wine from his hands. Uh, When he got his hands on the for sale sign, he brandished it about like a weapon. (laughs) 
He also shouted some pretty nasty things at the cops who were forced to place him under arrest. After after, uh, spending some time in the drunk tank, Mr. Cunliffe sobered up and upon learning what he did, became mortified and started to cry. But this is not his first drunken offense. A uh, judge sentenced him to six months imprisonment suspended, saying you are you are at peril of imprisonment if you commit another offense before the end of next year. So uh, warning the uh, uh, warning the man, this is your last chance. And uh, also uh, he ordered alcohol addiction treatment within six months. I just what what caught my eye was the headline that he uh, grabbed a for sale sign and brandished it about as a weapon. So, okay. There you go. Uh, The the things we do sometimes when we are inebriated. That is your uh, broken news update this morning. This report on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less. Of Hancock County Veterans Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. This is the sound of a popular American motorcycle. It's the sound of freedom, the open road, really good times. And this is what it sounds like with a drunk guy in it. How do you like the sound of that? Cops are cracking down on drunk motorcycle riders. If you ride drunk, you will get caught and you will get arrested. Drunk riding. Over the limit, under arrest. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Transportation. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news, the statistics that shape our lives. And this is really interesting, especially as we come up on the summer outdoor travel season so on. People starting to go places and do things and all of that. And with attitudes about COVID-19 changing, more people able to get out, many are still not going out. The reason, though, is not because of infection, but inflation, according to a new survey. This was a a poll of 2,000 American adults conducted by Beyond Finance. Find 66% of Americans are avoiding going places Because they are embarrassed about their financial situation. Two in three said that they have avoided going somewhere because they just couldn't afford it. And they were embarrassed about not being able to spend, uh, quote unquote, the right amount of money in a situation. 33% say they have avoided birthday parties because they couldn't afford a gift. 32% have declined wedding invitations. Same deal. 31% have avoided happy hours and because they can't afford to drink. The same percentage have said no to networking events, which could cause some long-term issues with your career and your job prospects and and things like that. 56% of those in the survey say inflation and high gas prices have left them either extremely or noticeably more stressed out. Ironically, though, the survey found that those who are strapped and stressed about it very often engage in so-called stress shopping. 67%, and this is where the poll gets interesting, 67% said that they end up buying stuff they don't need when they shouldn't be spending at all. And again, they're not doing things because they can't afford it or because money is tight. And yet at the same time, they're stress shopping. Two thirds of those in the survey have done this. Stress shoppers include the 51% who admit to buying collectibles that they don't really like or need. The same percentage splurge on fast food. They can't really afford to dine out, but they do anyway. And I have to admit, I, I've probably done that. You know what I mean? I just, I don't know what it is. Uh, 50% say that they have bought expensive clothing or accessories while they were stressed out. And 48% have actually bought duplicate items of things they already owned for some reason. 61% say that they don't make enough money to live life to the fullest with the average respondent saying if they earned $86,000 a year, they would not feel stressed about their finances again. That seems to be the sweet spot. 86 k However, 57% say that they would always feel stressed about money, even if they technically made enough. And that is probably true. What's that old adage that you can never, no matter how much you make, uh, it is never enough. You, your lifestyle adjusts itself 
up up or down based on how much money you have. So I don't know that many of us can ever get get ahead in that respect. While high school seniors are getting ready for commencement and preparing for the next step in their lives, it is a time of transition for parents as well. Whether it's your first kid to graduate, your last kid to graduate, or any kid in between, mom and dad, especially mom, could use some guidance as well. Comedic illustrator and popular influencer Sharon Brecker is author of the new book, Miserable Mom, The Do's and Don'ts of Sending Your Kid to College. And Sharon, you point out that this is... Not only one of the most emotional parenting moments, it also conveniently coincides with midlife and all of the landmines that come along with that stage. (laughs) That is absolutely right. And that is just absolutely not fair. (laughs) No one asked me if that was okay. (laughs) And, And as if to demonstrate how significant this moment is for a mom, this is your first book. Of all of the parenting moments that you could have chosen, this is right up there at the top. Oh, that's so funny. And that is absolutely right. Out of everything, this is probably the most challenging, and yet people don't talk about it. And I think it's because we spend from the time we have our children until the time they are ready to actually leave the nest, Mm -hmm. we spend all of our time and energy focused on them. And, uh, you know, when it's time to let go, that can be really challenging. Did this catch you by surprise when it happened to you? It really, really did. And I I knew it was going to be a challenging time, mm-hmm. but I didn't realize the roller coaster of emotions that I was actually going to go through. And so this book is really about the period of time. And it is a finite period of time because, of course, life becomes normal again, just right. like anything. Right. And, you, you know, you go back to your normal or your new normal. Um, but there was something about the period of time that spans from preparing your kid to move out to re- bringing them, you know, to college and leaving them in the dorms and then returning home yeah. without them. Yeah. And that period of time is really emotional and frankly it's a little crazy making yeah it's it it is a jolt Uh, there is no question so right now that anxiety is probably already building a bit what should parents be doing and not doing right now first of all buckle up because this is going to be a crazy emotional roller coaster ride with graduation happening So in addition to my raw and honest story about my experience, I have funny do and don't illustrations that depict various scenarios that show the appropriate ways one would expect to behave under these circumstances (laughs) and the more realistic ways that I and other moms actually behave. So I don't know. I'm guilty of many of the don'ts. I, I am sorry to say. As, um, as are we all. unapologetic. Yeah. Um, exactly. You, you cover a couple of real common uh, scenarios that I want to kind of highlight here. The overbearing parent. Once your child is away, that is tough for, for some folks to resist that urge to become that mom, that overbearing parent. I like to joke around that I felt like I was dating my daughter, the one that was off at college, because every time I wanted to call or text her, I had to kind of take a pause and stop and think, well, (laughs) did I just do that three and a half minutes ago? (laughs) Maybe I should give her a little more space. Um, You know, it's important for them to grow up, but it's also okay to know that we as moms have to deal with those emotions because that's what makes us human, right? Right. (laughs) And, And you also go into, as you were mentioning, eventually it does get better because you kind of find your new normal but that's another uh, thing that you talk about in the book is is finding that new normal and adjusting to what is a big change in midlife absolutely and i think that what we can do for each other is admit that you know letting our kids go is challenging Um, but that we will be okay. Parents go through this every year, right? Every year, parents send their kids off to college. They go through these emotions and they live to tell the tale, right? So we do it together. It is survivable. At the end of the day, the, um, the real message, uh, here that I think comes out loud and clear is that every now and then your crazy is going to 
show. And that's okay. You live and learn from those mistakes, those missteps, those times when your kids are going to roll their eyes and, and all of that. Um, but you, you will both survive this and, uh, a little sense of humor about it is probably the best medicine. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes when we are in those moments, it is hard for us to laugh, but looking back, you know, it's okay to be like, oh yeah, maybe I, maybe I shouldn't have held on to my daughter's ankles as I was <laughs> trying to go into her dorm, you know, but it's like, we're human. We love our kids, but it's time to let go. It's not the easiest thing, but yes, exactly. We, we, you get through it and it's okay. And we're human. And frankly, teaching our kids that we are human and we have emotions also is not a bad lesson for them to learn as well. You know, and it so, may, it may be the, the springboard that takes your relationship with your kids to another uh, new level a you know, more grown-up level. And by the way, uh, I would also point out uh, from experience that this isn't just for parents who are sending their kids off to college. Um, these are universal if your kid's going to the military, as uh, our two boys did. Uh, there's a lot of the same stuff going on, even if they're just you know getting their own apartment and moving straight into the workforce. Anytime you, know, you have that empty nest syndrome, uh, this is really at the heart of it. Completely agree. It's when your kids have been in your house for all of these years. Right. And, you know, when they're in your home, your life is kind of around your kids. And then when they when they move out for whatever the reason is, we miss them. We love them. We want more. We wonder where the heck did the time go? How did this come so fast? Right. And to ask ourselves now what I think is a very normal thing. You know, for them, they're moving on. Life is exciting. It's all new. Right. For us. It very often is the same thing, except now our kids no longer living in our house, yeah. and that's a big change. I this is a, a great book to pick up uh, right now ourselves, or <laughs> your your adult kids who are getting ready to move out may want to pick this up uh, for mom and dad, particularly <laughs> mom. Uh, again, uh, Sharon Brecker is uh, author of the new book, Miserable Mom, The Do's and Don'ts of Sending Your Kids to College. And you have a website where folks can learn more about the book? I do. The website is miserablemoms.com, and it's questionable parenting stuff, which clearly I I get. Um, (laughs) I I try to shine a light on the stream of consciousness we all internalize and help us take a step back and laugh at ourselves. So you can find all of that on my website and on my Instagram, which is at miserablemoms. Sharon, thanks very much for taking the time. Certainly best of luck with the book. Thank you so much for having me. So much fun. Take care. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. And that, of course, is goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow, everything you need to kick off the summer season, along with a reminder about the true meaning of the Memorial Day holiday. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.